Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, EveryonesAcriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Rate and review the show. Give us a five-star review. We'll read it on the air, and you will... When the next person to do so will win a copy of I Spit on Your Grave, the 4K 40th or 50th anniversary. Is it 40th? One of those decades. I, one of those landmarks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you want to listen to us talk about it, head over to patreon.com slash criticspod. The best would help support the podcast. We also have music reviews of classic albums by Nirvana, Metallica, The Beatles, and more to come. Uh, you can only hear that there on Patreon if you're interested. We are live on YouTube, usually Monday evenings between 6 and 9 <laughs> Central Time, depending on our schedules. If you want to watch us live, follow us on our social media network or our social media to uh, get a link when we do go live. All right. Let's see here. Obviously, the big news of the weekend is William Hurt passed away, but we've before we even get there, or if we even if we do get there, let's just go. Ahead and <laughs> say I think we dead. might avoid that one. He's dead. Yeah, he's dead. All right. Goodbye, William Hurt. Get out of here. Critics <laughs> Choice Awards was last night, correct? Uh, yes, yes, it was. Tell us about it. <laughs> it was a it was a good show. I was very proud, and of course, I'm a member of the Critics Choice Association, and um, uh, always happy to be part of the critics choice and had my vote cast. I, uh, I voted for tick, tick, boom for best picture. It didn't win, but you know, most of the things I picked don't win. So that's fine. Uh, you know, I picked, I picked best director. I picked Guillermo del Toro for nightmare alley. Like I, I didn't get any of them on any of the big ones aside from maybe Troy Kotz are right. I think I called that one, but of course I wouldn't have voted for that. If the guys I actually nominated would have been nominated, you know, that's how that works. Right. Um, <laughs> no, no, but again, they're, they're all great movies and power of the dog winning best picture was deserved. It's, it's a great movie. Um, it, it, it's more than earned. It should, it's a tremendous film. And I'm very pleased to see that movie win. Obviously, you know, tick, tick, boom. I voted for that because it was my number two movie of the year. It's just, it was, you know, there were there were only three maybe of the movies that I in my top ten that were nominated in the ten movies that got nominated for best picture. So uh, I was going to vote for Tick Tick Boom no matter what. But uh, I, I'm happy to see Power of the Dog win and Will Smith. He, it's a great performance in King Richard. I don't think it's a very good movie, but it's a great performance. He's really good in it. Uh, the thing about that, I think there's a I think what what what's happening with Will Smith, and I'm, this is going to be controversial, and I'm going to piss off a lot of will smith fans but the fact of the matter is is that it's a role it's a performance that's easy to coalesce around you know as long as you don't as long as you ignore a lot of things about richard williams uh that i, th- I think we've all proven we're pretty willing to ignore i guess uh he's easy to coalesce around he's a guy that everybody's rooting for everybody wants to see will smith uh, get a get an oscar and win all these big awards because he's will smith and we all like him and he's been around for a long time but that does put the lie to the idea that we're picking the best performances because if we're going to pick the best actor performance we all know that that guy didn't even get nominated uh, <laughs> Nicholas Cage and Pig uh, didn't even get nominated for an Oscar. He did get nominated for Critics' Choice, but 
course, he lost to Will Smith. Because again, coalition building is what the what the awards season is really about. It's about uh, what movies can build the biggest uh, coalition of of uh, voters at one time. And yeah, and the, the easy to like movie is going to have the advantage every time. And King Richard's is an easy movie to like. Uh, same could be said similarly of, of the eyes of Tammy Faye, which is a very uncritical look at the life of Tammy Faye Baker. Uh, very flattering. And uh, Jessica Chastain is great in that movie. She's very, very, very entertaining. It's a very unique performance. It's not the best uh, actress performance of the last year. It's just not. Uh, I, <laughs> I maintain that there are several other actresses who were, who had more challenging roles, but again, those roles were divisive in divisive movies. Yeah, they should just call it favorite performance instead of best because they're really. Yeah. I mean, one, it's hard to define best because we all disagree on that, right? Uh, but then two, this is the either a safe or favorite or the safe favorite, whatever you want to call it, should be the <laughs> the name of the award, not best. Yeah, I mean, the Oscars next week. You know, it's going to be it's going to be either Belfast or it's going to be. Yeah, it might even be King Richard or Coda, which again, Coda, great movie. Love Coda. I think it's fantastic. Uh, but again, it's another movie that's uplifting. It's got a great ending to it. It's it's very positive. It it is not a movie that you could call challenging in any way. Uh, and that's not a knock on the movie. Not every movie has to be challenging. But I'm saying that it's easier to coalesce around Coda than it is around Power of the Dog, which is a bit of a downer. It's uh uh it's a bit of a it's just a bit of a tougher watch the power right. of the dog so i'm i'm actually kind of proud that that would come away with the win like it did last night for best picture because it was somewhat unexpected by me that it would get that uh i don't think like i said i don't think it's gonna win uh at the oscars for sure but that woman made a pretty good movie <laughs> she did <laughs> and she clapped back pretty hard oh, on that was too. hilarious too <laughs> <laughs> he's an actor not a cowboy that was it's pretty funny yeah I, I liked that a lot yeah uh anything else from the critics choice awards that we need to take away from i was surprised that encanto lost like i, I liked the mitchells versus the machines which won uh I, I gave that movie a very positive review but honestly i didn't think anything could stop encanto and then suddenly there it was and Canto had somehow lost. I'm wondering if maybe just Encanto and and the other Pixar movies kind of divided the or Pixar like movies like Luca uh, that that just kind of divided the audience maybe a little bit and took votes away from Encanto somehow and left it uh, left it open for Mitchell's versus the Machines to kind of sneak in with a coalition. Yeah, there's no way it doesn't win the Oscar though, right? <laughs> I met, I I can't imagine it losing, but then again, I don't know. I mean, I didn't imagine it losing last night. I I had already written the tweet. I was about to hit send on the tweet said congratulations on Kanto, and then they said Mitchell's versus the machines. I'm like, really? Oh wow! Because <laughs> I did vote for Encanto. I thought, and I just I thought everybody else did as well. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Oh man, I hate that song. <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, I don't even. We don't know. talk about William. We don't talk about William Hurt. That's what we don't talk about. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> uh, 
Anything else before you move on to the turning red controversy? Uh, just Billy Crystal gave a great speech. You know, I urge everybody to check that out. And so did Halle Berry. That she got the See Her Award. He got the Lifetime Achievement Award. And they were both incredible. So yeah, definitely get those. Um, I, w- I I was I'm still I'm very disappointed in the way that that Kristen Stewart's coming up short. She's come up short a lot throughout the award season. I really hoped that she would win last night. She didn't. Uh, and kind of Jessica Chastain has kind of snuck up now and become the the front runner and best actress, which is kind of surprising to me. Uh, once again, I think I think uh, like I've already explained that. I mean, the coalitions are just easier to build that way. Whereas right. I think Spencer Spencer is a far more challenging film. Well, and throw on the fact that Kristen Stewart doesn't like the campaign. Yeah, <laughs> you know that doesn't help you. <laughs> but you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. Know, but that's- <laughs> <laughs> that's part of why we don't cover the oscars anymore <laughs> yeah yeah very true very true all right so neither one of us saw this my wife and son did my wife was a little bored my son liked it what is the controversy here well and i i gotta preface this by saying that uh, the the film critic sean o'connell is a uh, a person that i've interacted with i've interviewed him he's uh I think he's a good person. He's a member of the Critics' Choice uh, Association, so I'm not here to call him out or, or tell him anything he's not heard all weekend long when he became Twitter's main character for a day. Uh, basically, he didn't like Turning Red, and his review wasn't great. Uh, he said on Twitter, quote, Some Pixar films are made for a universal audience. Turning Red is not. The target audience for this one feels very specific and very narrow. If you were in it, this might work well for you. I am not. This was exhausting. A lot of people took that to mean that he just simply could not relate to the idea of somebody who wasn't white. And I don't think that's what he meant, but he didn't phrase it very well. And saying that it's he's basically in his review, he was going on to say that he just didn't, uh, you know, he couldn't relate to this character, which I mean, I've seen 13 year old girls in movies before that I've been able to relate to that. I've never had a problem with that before. I, I don't, I don't quite understand where you're going when you're saying that you can't relate to like, I can't relate to anybody who's been to the moon, but I can review a movie about a moon. I can remove, review, I can review moonfall. You know what I mean, I'm not, I don't have, you don't have to be in that specific experience to have the kind of empathetic reaction to a movie and a person that's the lead in the movie. I, it, it, it's a bad look overall. He's apologized. He's taken in a lot of the criticism and, and given a very heartfelt apology. Well, yeah, and there's so much to be. I mean, one, he's professional, so there's that. Yeah. But, I mean, I look at when like Moonlight came out. I liked it a lot, but I didn't have it as high on my list as everybody else did just because I wasn't in the mood for it at the time, and obviously I, I'm not <laughs> gay black man. So it didn't, there was, but that's not why I liked the movie. It just yeah. never hit my you, one or two because of the mood I was in when I watched it. You know, but I you can empathize with him as a person. And that's the key is that. Right. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, guess, I, I mean, but I think if, if Sean, if what Sean's getting at is that he can't relate to, to a movie that, that you know, is centered on a 13 year old girl and is an animated feature about a 13 year old girl, maybe just don't review it, you know, step away. I, I've stopped. I've stopped for the most part watching or writing about animated movies, kids movies specifically, because right. I, I don't know what I have to contribute to that conversation. Right. Uh, and I, I didn't turn away turning red. I, I lost my chance to watch it. I had the chance to see it and I, I lost that chance. Uh, my window closed on it. So I, I just let it go. But 
I mean, to say that you can't relate to, I mean, would you say that he didn't, nobody knows if he ever said that about like something like uh, a very similar movie, which was, uh, oh God, what am I trying to think of here? The Pixar movie with Amy Poehler, they're in the little girl's head. Inside the voices, Out. Inside Out. I mean, same manner, you know, the same idea. I mean, this is a very basic, from what I've read about turning red, it, it's a, it's basically she turns into this red panda. That's a, it's this kind of curse that her family has, kind of like Teen Wolf, uh, where you know, people in her family, if they get embarrassed, they can, or if they have an extreme emotion, they can turn into a red panda. And it's basically a metaphor for growing up. It's a metaphor for puberty. She's a 13-year-old girl who's having her hormones racing for the first time. And uh, she's got a boy that she really likes. And it's leading to a lot of extreme emotions. And so that's a very relatable thing, regardless of whether she's Canadian, Chinese, and living in 2002. doesn't really matter. Puberty is universal. Everybody goes through it. Right. Yeah. I'm just trying to find a way to defend him. But yeah, I probably should have avoided it. Or if that, I mean, I'm sure he was looking for an angle and didn't think anything of it, and it came off a certain way. And yeah, he he's not a bad guy. Uh, and from everything I know about him, he's not a bad guy. And I'm certainly I'm certain that he didn't mean that in his sense of being Absolutely. of this being a racial thing. I don't think he intended that. I think it's I think it was reasonable for people to jump to that conclusion because again, it does come off very badly in the way he put it, but. Uh, he did apologize for that. He does. He does understand, apparently, from what he wrote in response, that he does understand why people were upset by what he said. All right, let's move on to our movies this week, and we will start with the Netflix film The Adam Project. The Adam Project stars Ryan Reynolds as a, a guy named Adam, who is uh, part of a group that has the ability to go back in time using these specialized planes. Uh, they've invented time travel in the future, and so he uses that to travel back to 2022, uh, where he meets his 12-year-old self. And He's done this because he's trying to escape from the evil people who are using time travel to enrich themselves, uh, led by Catherine Keener. Uh, he's been shot, so he's trying to recover from that. He's hiding his ship, and of course, he's trying to track down a way to stop time travel because his... Uh, his beloved, uh, played by Zoe Saldana, went back in time and may have been shot down, may have even been killed. He doesn't know. He's going back to try and find her. Uh, lots of really clever stuff in this. This, this is I, this is the Ryan Reynolds I like. I think the difference here that makes this a better version of Ryan Reynolds than the other ones, it's slightly more serious. He's taking this, he's taking this romantic stuff a little bit more seriously in this movie, and it's not as quippy as usual but on top of that you've got this really smart premise that that uh, uses its time travel very very well the science fiction of levels are very good uh mark ruffalo is excellent in this movie i really love that and of course my favorite part is seeing him and jennifer garner together i love 13 going on 30 i'm not ashamed to love that movie i think it's fantastic and i i giggled like a little schoolgirl when i saw them together in the movie yeah, I didn't even put that together. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's funny you say that, though. Not the the Garner Ruffalo thing, but the Ryan Reynolds and taking it serious. My son watching it goes, "I'm not used to seeing Ryan Reynolds in a romantic role," <laughs> and it bothered yeah. him. <laughs> he couldn't relate. <laughs> uh, uh, but in a lot of ways, this kid is amazing. Like he nails Ryan Reynolds. Even like my ten year old's like, "This kid is Ryan Reynolds." <laughs> <laughs> he had the cadence down and everything down just yeah. perf- 
perfect. And then the way they played off of one another was fantastic. Yeah, that was a terrific dynamic. And also, I think, I think, interestingly enough, him being around his child self actually makes him seem more mature, which, you know, like it comes off kind of immature in like Red Notice and, and uh, the, the couple other ones that he's done recently that I've really hated. Free Guy. Like, he's, he seems a little bit more mature when he's talking to his child self. Yeah, and I, I do think you're right. The premise is very smart. You also have a all-star ensemble cast. I mean, you got, like, what, four Marvel characters in here? You got Elektra, <laughs> you got Gamora, the Hulk, and Deadpool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you got a great actress, and Catherine Keener is the big bad. Uh, and yeah, kind of an old-school one, too. Like, right. she's just pure evil. Like, there's no there's no playing with it. She's just greedy evil, which I kind of I kind of like that sort of old-school aspect of it. It reminded me of those... 80s kids movies that were very specific about this is the villain they're always villainous right. that was kind of nice absolutely uh, <laughs> i really enjoyed this and i'm surprised because sean levy is not a good director uh he's really <laughs> he made he's made so many terrible movies like just and the cheaper by the dozen movies i think he might have done uh he do bring out bring down the house he might have he's done a lot of really movies that i really really hate so i was really impressed that he pulled this one off and now apparently he's going to direct Deadpool three. Did he do part two? No, I know. Um, I'm not sure who did Deadpool two, but uh, and it, was, it wasn't Sean Levy, but yeah, it Sean was. Levy did free guy though. <laughs> oh, who's doing that Brad Pitt movie where he's that's who directed Deadpool two. Oh, okay. The one yeah, coming but, out. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, yeah. this, yeah, bullet train bullet. That's right. Uh, but I, this is a, it's a different take on those time travel movies. You know, usually you don't get to meet yourself in the time travel movies, and they do a good job of explaining that. And I mean, it's fairly simple. You know, they just kind yeah. of say it, and, but they they establish it and they go. And it and it at no point do you feel cheated. Uh, it's just all around watchable. It's a fun movie. You know, if nothing else. They- they created their own rules, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they stuck to them. You know, they, there's the, and I, and I love that Mark Ruffalo is kind of, kind of the audience surrogate for a moment, trying to. He's playing out all the various ways that the theories of how time travel works. The kid does it too, and and Ryan Reynolds is like, no, this is the way it is. This is the only way it is. Stop asking me. <laughs> right, because he's the one who knows. Yeah, please, from yeah, the just future. Shove that st- <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> shove all that off the table and don't, no, don't worry about theories. This is how this movie works in its universe, and that's it. I like that. Uh, that worked for me. Uh, I also love that they're going to destroy time travel, which is great. I've, I've, nobody ever does that. That's that's another you know premise that nobody's ever thought of. Was like, what kind of horrible things could time travel do? And maybe we shouldn't do it. Like that's that's clever. That's another nice twist. On top of which, just a movie is just very charming. Yeah, it's it's very charming. Jennifer Garner is like right at the heart of this movie, playing his mom, who's you know she's lost her husband and she's kind of she's she's a little sad. She's trying to get back out and dating, but she's also kind of losing her son in a way because he's become very withdrawn from her. Uh, and that that's a lovely arc that they work out throughout the movie. That was very 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 good, and I like seeing her in. in big movies again because she's so so talented and i was worried she was gonna end up in like you know pure flicks movies at some point (laughs) (laughs) yeah no you're right she's definitely the glue that holds this together without even really being in it that much and that's kind of what's missing from like free guy and 
other things he's done. One, some like the Hitman's Bodyguards are just safe action movies. I like them, but they're just yeah. you know what they are before you see them. Uh, you know, Free Guy, I didn't hate as much as you. I also didn't love, but that is he's the vehicle that drives that movie, and the director Sean Levy has some really lazy things that he does in it. Uh, yeah. That kind of takes away. This one is, you know, the cast doesn't allow, you know, allow him to go off track. I don't think you just yeah. can't with everybody, you know, you recognize in this movie, everybody you see, you recognize. So it, I don't know. It just plays like a great watchable, fun little blockbuster movie on Netflix. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think- loved how the bedrooms, like it's clearly set in 2022. One or twenty twenty two. The bedroom yeah. look like they're straight out of the eighties. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's great. Yeah, there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun. I like this movie. Uh, let's move on to Heckle. Heckle is a piece of garbage movie starring uh, Steve Gutenberg. It's a horror film about a comedian's murder. Uh, he is the comedian who gets murdered. And uh, this guy played by Guy Combs is supposed to play him in a movie. Uh, he's finding himself being repeatedly heckled while he performs by some guy uh, in a clown mask. Who's also menacing him away from the stage. And uh, it may or may not be related to the murder of Gutenberg's character, who we see a lot in flashbacks. He's this, uh, it's a weird performance for Gutenberg. He's wearing a stupid looking hair. He's got this stupid looking wig on for some reason uh, that makes no sense. The guy who's supposed to play him in a movie is played by that guy with the beard there in the poster, mm-hmm. Guy Combs. He looks nothing like him. So why they would choose that guy to play Gutenberg's character in a movie is another thing that doesn't make any sense. The whole movie doesn't make any sense, though. It's just a nasty little horror movie with lots of blood and guts in it. Then uh, Steve Gutenberg spends like like 15 straight minutes just uh, just verbally abusing a teenager in, his, in the crowd who grows up to murder him. Uh, so that's that's what this movie is. And it's like you're just watching Steve Gutenberg just lay into somebody like like uh, an even more rotten version of un, rotten, unfunny version of like uh, Don Rickles. Like mm-hmm. it's not Steve Gutenberg is not this. And this is not this is not a good movie in any way. Yeah, I don't know. Especially with all the the male comedians right now who aren't necessarily the best people in the world. <laughs> you could have <laughs> tried to make a point or say something as opposed to just, I don't know. Seems like a missed yeah, this opportunity. Has, this has nothing to say beyond, beyond its own, you know, nose. It doesn't really have right. anything to say about, interesting to say about these characters, their performances, anything. That sounds horrible. We'll have, to call this, we'll have to call this segment the Why Did Sean Watch This segment? <laughs> or, no, I, bet it. I can't believe Sean had to watch this one. <laughs> oh. But this next movie is not one of those movies. Uh, Moon Manor. Yes, Moon Manor stars uh, James Carrazzo as Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy is a, uh, a very unique soul who... Uh, he's he's come up on the fringe of the entertainment business, and uh, he performed on cruise ships. He fell in love with a guy, and they spent their life together, performing together. It was very lovely. He passed away several years back, uh, and now it's Jimmy's turn to pass on. He's chosen to uh, have an assisted suicide 
And uh, he's to, but to, before that, he's decided to throw himself a funeral where he's going to have all of his friends and family gather for a big party. And all these wonderfully colorful people are coming to his home to celebrate with him. And he's also, you know, he's not. He, he's beginning to slip away. Like he's got, uh, they, they don't really state it outwardly that he has Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, but he's got something that's where his memory is starting to slip. So he's kind of, he's ready to go. Uh, meanwhile, there is a character played by Richard Riley who has a bit of a secret connection to him. Who's this activist who's trying to convince him not to kill himself in the, in the least convincing ways possible. <laughs> Very funny subplot. Uh, You've got uh, a character played by Lou Taylor Pucci is a journalist who he's been kind of stuck writing obituaries for years. And he thinks that writing about this particular death could be his breakthrough as a feature writer because Jimmy's got such a unique story. There's so many unique and interesting things about Jimmy that they drop in that are just these wonderfully lovely details about his life. And then there's just these lovely, graceful moments where it's just him alone and he's dealing with, you know, the potential of that he's going to die and what it's like to die and what what's going to happen when I die. And it's just beautiful. I love this movie. Yeah, it's really smart. It's very just, uh, you know, back to the original idea. You know, it's not as like crazy original as that one movie. Oh, my God. that had the sequel that. The no, Turner. That, yeah, like that was like, but the, not not much is that original. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this you can just it. It felt like somebody's visions seen through to the end. Nobody in there messing up going, why don't you try this? Or what if we put Pepsi over here or something like that? None of that is in this movie. And that that just gives it a very fresh take. At the same time, it's almost like I'm getting to the point where the movies I want to see in the theater is is stuff like this. It's not the Batman or Avengers. You know, I, I do like those movies okay in the theater, but this is... Like, I feel like my experience wasn't as good as it could have been because if I would have seen the theater, I would have liked it that much more. And, that, well, and, that and the visual me. elements were so good, too. Right. This is a lovely movie that's got some very cool you know, visual notes to it that, yeah, I, I could definitely see. And the music is so good, too. Like, hearing that oh, on the right. big sound system would be pretty fantastic. Uh, so many great things about this movie, but Lou Taylor Pucci has a wonderful arc as the writer who, you know, he doesn't know this guy. He doesn't know hardly what's happening here. And, and he becomes enraptured by it and becomes, he, he falls in love with Jimmy, like everybody who meets him does. And, and then there's Deborah Wilson from uh, mad TV, who plays this wonderful character, the, the death doula. She's here to guide him into death in a, in the, in a manner that's, you know, very beautiful, very empathetic and uh, and kind. And she, she's just amazing. She's just such a great presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want her to be there when I die. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, she's just a very comforting presence. And the, the, the little, this little graceful note that she, she and Jimmy have where they, where he signals her to tell her it's time for him to go is just, oh, that moment. I think about that and I get a little misty because it's just, it's just lovely. Everything about this movie is just lovely. I, I, I adore this film. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. And I guess my whole point with the theater is I just, I pay attention more. I get more enveloped into the movie when I'm in a theater yeah. as opposed to when I'm at home. And, Your dog's not running around. Right. I, I just, <laughs> it's, I'm more distracted in this movie. I wish I could have given more attention to because I know I would have liked it even, and I like it a lot. 
I just know I would have liked it more if I could have just, you know, let myself over to the movie, uh, which the theater creates for me. And uh, I just want these movies there more so than the blockbusters. That'd be nice. But yeah. uh, I think that time has passed. Yes, it definitely has, unfortunately. Uh, Batman and Me. Batman and Me is a a mildly interesting documentary about a guy who collects Batman stuff. Uh, I'm wondering, I don't know much about Australia and how, and their, and their uh, culture of collecting uh, because here in America, the kind of collection that this guy has of Batman stuff is like, yeah, that's great. But you know, like <laughs> there are people here who have wings of their home. You, know, I, you and I watch wrestling like, Jerry Lawler has one room of his house is Christmas and one room of his house is Coca-Cola. Like the guy, like, and it's just this massive collection everywhere. Like we have entire shows dedicated to people who go around buying things to add to their collection. This guy, the documentary is framed. Like uh, the documentarian is wondering if there, if this guy's going to be okay. Like he's got so much Batman stuff and he's dedicated so much of his life to getting stuff from Batman. Uh, these Batman collectibles that I, I don't know, man, like if I give him this Batman thing that I want to give to him, is he going to start collecting again and start losing his money? And never at any point is this guy's collection that impressive compared to what we see in America. <laughs> I mean, he's got one room that he's filled entirely with Batman stuff. And I'm like, that's like every house here in America has a room like that. Like I've got a room like that. You would have a room like that. Like we, all of us would have, if we had the, the finances, we'd have that. He profiles this guy's life as if like, he's got an addiction to Batman and it's like, he never comes off that way. <laughs> like he doesn't, he's got a wife. He's got uh, friends. He's got a life. He's a filmmaker. This guy is being profiled. Uh, like he seems to be functioning just fine. And it seems as if he hasn't even been collecting Batman in the past few years. Like even before the documentary, it seems like he may have even stopped collecting a while back. <laughs> so I'm not even sure where, like where this guy was going with this documentary. It, it's a good documentary and it's interesting. It's well-made. Uh, but I don't think I'm not sure what his thesis. I'm not sure what his thesis line was that he was going for here. That's funny. Yeah, I'm sure Josh and uh, cousin Jeff could probably put his collection to shame. <laughs> Imagine they could. Yes. And I mean, we wouldn't portray either of them as being like desperately addicted to no. the point of like drug addicts who have to have their Star Wars toys. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, that's. That's pretty funny, though. I, I want to invite this 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 director to come to America and just take a look at any house. <laughs> if it's not Batman, it's something else. <laughs> right. Uh, what about Song for Caesar? Song for Caesar is about the music that drove the movement behind Cesar Chavez. Uh, everywhere he went, he inspired people, and he inspired artists especially to create some incredible uh, music about the protests of the way that migrant workers were treated in California in the 1960s. Uh, for those that don't know, Cesar Chavez was a, a person who changed something important, and he did so through through organized protest. Uh, he got, there were migrant workers who were coming up from Mexico who were, uh, through bad policy, end up sometimes trapped in America and working these jobs that they weren't being paid very much to do 
It's backbreaking labor on a daily basis for almost no pay. Uh, and he changed that. He got them minimal rights. Granted, he, they aren't the best rights. They aren't great treated. But before Cesar Chavez, they didn't get minimum wage. Before Cesar Chavez, they didn't get a break. Like they, didn't, they, get, they got the chance to go to the bathroom because of him, which is insane when you think about it and, and inhuman that, that people were treated this way. But that's the way it was. And he changed that through protest. And these are the artists who made the music that were the, this was the soundtrack to that movement. And in that way, it's a, it's a brilliant documentary that, that just shows how much art can be influenced by protest, how much protest can be backed up by art, and what is completely lacking from any protest movement we have today uh, is any kind of great art. And I know there's some out there, you got to dig for it, but there should be more. Like there should, we've got an incredible, incredibly, incredibly talented people around, and nobody seems to make any great protest songs. And it just kind of, it leaves me kind of just wondering what's going on. Like, why don't we have, we've got great protest movements out there, but nobody's doing, making any great protest songs. Uh, when when somebody like Lil Dicky has to do a song about the environment, <laughs> like, where it, it's just, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It is for the, for, for the rest of the artistic community with the environmental crisis that we have. Nobody's written a great song about it. Yeah, yeah. Ted Nugent and Kid Rock are writing about the insurrection <laughs> as, a, as a protest. Right, but I said great art. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, that's out there. <laughs> yeah. It's embarrassing. And and this movie is not intended to embarrass those people, but it should. People who, who take protests seriously should see this documentary and Use, use it as some fuel to maybe create some art that might underline the point and actually get something done. All right, let's move on to our classic Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever stars uh, John Travolta as uh, Tony Monero. He is a, a teenager who's growing up in a uh, borough of New York who uh, uh, works at a paint store and uh, on the weekends he goes to 2001 a dance odyssey and he dances uh, and he's the best dancer there uh and the story here is about him coming to realize how empty that existence is and how he might need something a little bit more and in that way it, it's not bad uh I, I i don't think this is a bad movie at all at times i kind of wonder if this is a, just a completely empty experience like uh, is this really worthy of a movie but I, every time I always get to the end and I, I realize that like he's a kid and he's, I know it's John Travolta. So it's hard to see him as a kid. He doesn't look like he's 19 years old. Uh, even then when he was, he really looks slightly older. Uh, so I don't connect with it as much as I think I should. And obviously he's not a good person, but he's also a young man making young person mistakes, not to justify some of the things that he does. But again, he's making he's a young person making young person mistakes, uh, and by that by the end when he find when he's coming to realize how empty the existence that he's built so much into, the emptiness of him and seeing that emptiness in his eyes is powerful. And Travolta does communicate that aspect of it very well. It takes a little bit to get there. It takes a little bit to to get over. But by the end, when he when you see him just this shell of a person with those hangdog eyes and you're seeing this like 
man child like realize that there's so much more to life that he doesn't understand i i can't help but find that a little bit moving and i and in that way i do like this movie yeah i'm with you uh one thing i found neat about this is you really could spin this movie off in a million directions i would have liked to watch some of the other characters stories as well you know that are you know some of the female leads in this movie i think have have great i'm very interested in their story but they just kind of come and go here yeah Uh, there's which i find neat about this movie I, i it's harder to watch in today's climate uh, but it still is a well-made movie. It's, it does hold up as a movie, uh, and the ending, like you said, is very. It it brings it all home because you're right. You're watching it kind of like okay, they're just going out dancing, and then they're doing whatever they do to women, and then, yeah. uh, then all of a sudden, you know, the brother comes back, and it, it's <clears throat> you start to see the seeds of it. But then when he really, when that ending hits, it, it's. I feel like it's a little abrupt, but at the same time, Travolta does a good job of making up for anything that could be wrong with it. Because yeah. it's just the look, like you said, it, it, you buy into it 100%. And, uh, and, and people people don't give Karen Gordy enough credit in that moment, you because know, she, she stays in her character so very, very well. She doesn't, she is more worldly than he is, but she's the same age. She's 19 as well. And so she's still a child. She can't possibly comfort him or offer him, uh, you know, the kind of, you know, motherly advice that he needs in this moment that he he knows he couldn't possibly get from his mother. Who couldn't possibly? She's from a different universe. She's so much older, uh, and he's you know he's desperate for something, and she gives him what she can uh, from her, you know, slightly more worldly experience. But she can't be what he needs at that moment. And she can't. She certainly can't help him up, and she stays in that performance she doesn't try to be more than any more than that and i i really think she doesn't get enough credit for giving him what he needs the energy of that scene uh is in part because she stays in her character so very very well yeah and you know not to bring it to 2022 but you know watching it and just you know you look at some of the men from that era how exhausting it must be to have to keep up that that facade that patriarchy thing that they have to have over their house you know watching his dad act that way uh you know that is something that has to be better for guys now to not have to feel the the pressure to be that manly and that you know you know in control and worrying about your reputation you know i don't know it just i almost felt not that he's a victim by any stretch of the word. No, no. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like, God, thank, you know, I'm glad I didn't grow up in that, and I'm glad I never even thought like that or had to even feel like that. And I think this movie came out either right before I was born or when I was alive, so it's not like it's that old. 77, I like yeah, it was. So it's a little bit older than me, but not much. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it's It plays... Well, there's moments that are hard to watch, but they're supposed to be hard to watch. And, uh, I, I mean, at the same time, you know, <laughs> it's easier to have a conversation about a clockwork orange, which is hard to watch for different reasons, <laughs> but way more artistic, and there's things to it, and you want to dive yeah. in and di- deconstruct it. This one, there's is, not a whole what, lot to say outside of what you started off uh, with. Not uh, Along the lines, though, but... Uh, 
when it comes to the dancing of this movie, neither of us, I would say, I, I'm going to guess you're not much of a dancer. No. I know I'm not much of a dancer. I, I can dance, I think, but I don't do it very often. Is the dancing in this movie good? <laughs> like, I, I know we're told a lot that the dancing here is very good. Is it, though? <laughs> like, I keep looking at it. It's very athletic. It's, it's very uh, uh, agile. He's got a lot of agility. But a lot of it just is some of it's kind of gymnastics. Some of it's kind of just being where the you know where you're supposed to be at the at the moment. It's on the beat, I guess. Well, is it good though? I don't. I right. I kind of wonder. Well, a lot of the scenes are almost like line dancing, where they're all choreographed. It's like everybody's on the floor doing the same move. So, like, how impressive yeah. is that? <laughs> Uh, and we and we all mock we all mock you know the country line dancing people but you know they do it in this movie and we're guess we're supposed to be impressed <laughs> yeah and I, <sighs> there's another aspect that I do want to tackle and that is the the part of this movie there's another 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 aspect but we'll get to that comedy stuff in a moment that, <laughs> that I wrote about but uh early on in this movie I thought oh god is this gonna be what this is like the whole time because there's a scene early on where he goes to his family dinner and everything, everybody speaks in expository dialogue to introduce themselves and everybody in the family. Like the dad, I've been out of work for seven, seven months as a, in construction. It's like, yeah, they're your children and your wife. They know, <laughs> they know about that. They know how long you've been out of work and where you worked. Yes. And you know, the mom keeps introducing your brother, your father, Father, Father Doug, whatever his name is, the, the, that's your brother. It's like, yes, he knows. He knows who his brother is. Yes, you don't need to tell him who his brother is or your who your son is. We know who your son is. We've met him. But everybody is speaking this desperately expository dialogue for the entire scene. Thankfully, that goes away after that. But man, is it tough. It's tough to sit through that scene. Yeah. At the same time, though, there are families that are always, you know, comparing brothers and, you know, your brother did this, sure, and, and they I, repeat I, it. But I, you're right; they it's the it's not so much that they're doing it. It's like when he says he's out of work for seven months from construction. It's just, you know, <laughs> yeah, who are you pro- telling that to? Right? You don't need to go. All you got to do is say, "I've been laid off for you know, and I've been work." You know, it's something quick. It's not the yeah. extra added details that kind of make it a little too much. Uh, yeah, they were. I, I, I got to credit the movie for being very distinctive about you know his relationship to his father and the sort of absence of fatherly wisdom that he feels uh, there. That that's a good that's a good a good scene after that the second dinner scene where he's gotten his raise from the paint shop shop and he's telling his dad about it. And his dad's got to just fucking be a dick about it. Like oh, f- four bucks? So what? What do you, what are four bucks? That's nothing. You suck. Like just taking the shit, just taking the wind out of his sails in that moment. Like that, that was a wonderfully specific detail about something that, you know, there's an aspect of him that's missing because that relationship doesn't work and he doesn't have a, a father who is supportive or kind in any way to him and, and how that informs who he is and how he acts towards other people. That That's a good specific detail that, that uh, is another good aspect of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else did you want to cover with this movie? <laughs> so I had to stop this movie about two minutes in because <laughs> the opening sequence of this movie, for if you haven't seen it, is John Travolta. He's walking down the street and you know, uh, 
the staying alive is playing. It's all very cool. He stops to get pizza and he's carrying a paint can. So he's got one hand holding the paint can and he orders two slices of pizza. And I'm like, what are the logistics of this going to be? How are you carrying two slices of pizza and a paint can down the street without, I don't know, that just seems crazy to me, but he's going to carry this all the way back to the paint shop, then sit down and eat. No, no, he doesn't. He eats pizza while walking. He eats two slices of pizza at the same time while walking. To me, that is insane. I find him to be a crazy person. I can't imagine eating food while walking to me is just, it is so (laughs) certain foods are built for that. Like if you're walking down the street, carrying something in a cup and you're, and you're drinking it, that makes sense to me. Uh, They're foods that are wrapped particularly well for like hot dogs. If you don't put anything on it, you can eat a hot dog while walking and not get it all over yourself. I have a very desperate fear anxiety about spilling food on myself and how people will judge me if I spill food on myself. So the idea of trying to eat pizza and walk down the street at the same time, it's like wizard levels of, of ridiculousness to me. Like you must be some kind of superhuman able to do that. And it sent me into an anxiety spiral to the point where I had to write a thousand word essay about it. Now did he eat them? <laughs> did he eat the two pieces at once? At once, he stacked them like a sandwich. See, that's where my issue is. As, <laughs> as a fat guy who likes to enjoy the the comforts of food, even instead of using it as fuel to make my body, you know, stronger and more yeah. healthy, it's more of a, the pleasures of enjoying it. It's not going to taste better by stacking it. Why not prolong it by eating it two separate times? You know, that's the part I don't get. It's just a waste of, you know, you could. They make the last an extra five or ten minutes by eating <laughs> both pizzas separate. Uh, at the there's same- an extra, there's an extra detail too, and that blows my mind when I think about it. He knows this pizza person very well. It's actually played by his sister, but uh, the pizza girl. They have like a very familiar thing. He does this a lot, apparently, where he goes and stops and gets pizza at this place. He, she says, "Do you want two? or three and my brain exploded thinking about this guy trying to eat three pieces of pizza at the same time while walking down the street (laughs) like has he done this has he eaten three pieces of pizza at the same time what kind of maniac is this guy (laughs) yeah i mean at the same time it is new york style pizza which means you can fold it and wrap it so i i can get around one while you're, you if can you're see him it. while he's walking down the street. You can see he's got tomato sauce on his face. Like he's got pizza sauce on his face. He's got the, the napkins. You can see grease through the napkins. So he's got that all over him. The movie gives him his dignity through editing only because otherwise, <laughs> otherwise he's spilled this all over himself. On top of which, it gets worse because what we find out when he gets to the paint store, he's been wait, making, making this woman there wait for him for the last 30 minutes while he stopped to get pizza, eat two slices of pizza while walking down the street, put a shirt on layaway. Like I get, this is a good, actually a lot of good character detail because it builds what kind of empty human being that he is an empty selfish person who has to learn a lesson about being a little more selfless and a little more open. So it's good character detail, but still how does this person have zero anxiety? It bothers me. Well, they're also from New York, you know. 
<laughs> we're not too far from us in Chicago. They eat pizza with a fork and a knife. So, you know, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. It's cleaner. I think it's a geographical you have to sit down. Thing. I get that. That makes sense to me. Chicago is sensible. Pizza is a sit down food. It's not a walking food. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to eat deep dish pizza walking? <laughs> That's the movie I want to see. That should have been the that should have been the naked gun version of this. <laughs> yeah. Takes place in Chicago. <laughs> He's just got pizza all over him when he gets to the paint shop. <laughs> what I don't know is how bad staying alive can be. That I've heard how horrible it is. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's bad. And I don't even. It's like t- they take all of the character advancement that he makes in that final scene, and they just chuck it. They just chuck it right out the window. <laughs> yeah, all because Rocky Two kind of worked. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to 1992. We had uh, American Me, Article 99, Howard's and Shakes the Clown, and my cousin Vinny. Did you watch any of them? I mean, there's only one that matters, right? Shakes the Clown. Yeah, I love Shakes the Clown. I've not actually seen Shakes the Clown. I wasn't available when I looked for it. I've never seen it either. That was the other one I was going to try to find, though, just because I don't know, that cover sticks out in my head. But this is one of my favorite movies of all time, My Cousin Vinny. Uh, It's so good. The second time this year alone I've already watched it. Yeah. That's how good it is. And with good reason. Like the, The construction of this movie is so clever. The, the way that they put together, like this is just such a well put together movie and it doesn't get enough credit. Uh, you know, people joked about Marissa Tomei winning the Oscar. She fucking deserved that Oscar. She fucking earned that shit. She's fantastic in this movie. She steals every single moment from one of the best actors in the world. <laughs> you know, she's amazing. That courtroom scene alone. I mean, you want to talk about comedy, the timing, the, the oh, that's so it's such a perfect scene. That that scene is so great that she goes from being very antagonistic to to you know, realizing what he's going for to, to where the scene is headed. It's it's so it tracks so beautifully. Uh, but everything in the movie does the, the just the left, the number of incidents that they come up with that are so smart and funny and still advance the film, like even little things like, you know, falling in the mud, uh, moving in the car mattered later like it didn't have to pay off fully but it does like they he like just the level of detail the level of care that go that goes into setting up this plot so many other directors would have ignored that and just tried to get to the to a bigger laugh and just even the, the silly things though like the that, that great that great moment where where Vinny has won the won the won the bet with that redneck guy <laughs> and the guy's like and the guy's here's your money and Vinny just pops him right in the face. It's so funny. The, just the way that Joe Pesci throws himself into the punch is hilarious. Well, and he does such a great job of, while he's funny himself and he is a great, one of the best actors, you know, alive, he has no problem handing it over to Marissa Tomei or Fred Gwynn or whoever else. Uh, yeah. The stuff with him and the judge is just amazing. <laughs> Every, you know, and... Just the the fact that the character is just he questions everything. So from, yeah. and every time he questions something, it relates to the case later on, and it's and it never feels cheap. It's just fun. Uh, yeah, 
he's never the butt of the joke like he's he's never like he he's the subject of the joke but he's not the butt of the joke and and i think there's a there's a distinct difference there uh in in the way that he's portrayed where he gets to be competent he he gets to demonstrate competence he gets to be a fish out of water and 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 you know seem like he's not out of his he seems like maybe he's out of his depth but they allow him these moments where he's so smart and so clever and so competent that it's not an accident he's just really smart yeah the character doesn't allow himself to be the butt of the joke he's always one step ahead of everybody even when he's not you know even when he's doing something wrong he's still he's got a confidence and a swagger to him that just uh, i don't know it is the probably my favorite comedy to, uh, to just watch i it never gets old, you know. Everybody talks about Office Space, this or you know whatever the movies that they just watch from kind of our generation. But this to me is the one I go back to all the time. I quote it the most. I mean, I'll always go identical, <laughs> you know, just stupid shit like that. <laughs> you know, it's uh, no, you're. I mean, you're absolutely right. And watching this again, it does not get enough credit for for the type of for the kind of movie that it is. Because again, I keep talking about construction. This is so. This is constructed so perfectly. You can't take a scene out of this movie and go, "Why is this here?" Uh, there's nothing. There's no fat on this movie. It's it's just it's whip smart from beginning to end. Every little detail, the detail about the grits is layered in beautifully because, of course, they're going to have grits in the South, and that actually plays in. And it plays in in a way that doesn't feel forced. It didn't feel like they shoved that in there. It made perfect sense why that was there. Even the prison rape joke is. <laughs> You, it's not it doesn't feel cheap it feels earned right. yeah <laughs> it's such a wonderfully it's such a wonderfully misunderstood situation it's great yeah and not to defend the oscars but you know everybody's always like why didn't bill murray win for groundhog day uh but marissa tomei won for for this and that kind of shows that uh they do take things you know they there are this comedies can win you know and this one is way better than groundhog day in my opinion absolutely uh, I think I would. you were probably in the minority on that but I, I don't think that's fair at all uh i just love it love it so yeah, much yeah this this movie is is way better than people give it credit for and i don't know if that's i wonder if that's just down to people don't find joe pesci attractive enough I honestly say that. I honestly say if this character had been played by a really handsome actor, like a, a Ray Liotta of the time, like does this movie get more credit just because he's more attractive? But does it work? That's the other question. Probably. Yeah. I mean, Joe Pesci really does a great job of setting. <laughs> he's just, up. He's, he's perfect. He's perfect in the role. He nails it. I'm just saying that from a, from an aesthetic perspective, oh, yeah. why why don't people appreciate this movie as much as they should? It's because he they don't find him attractive and they don't find them as a couple to be something they can buy into, which, which I disagree with. I buy in completely. I buy in completely on it. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Next week, we've got X, the outfit, Uma, Deep Water on Hulu with. Ben Affleck and uh, what's her name? De- uh, Anna DeArmas. Anna DeArmas. Uh, there's a lot of controversy with that movie. Uh, I mean, it's going. They're probably going to be. <laughs> it's just. It's an erotic thriller that seems like it was made in the '80s, and it's made. It was one that met. Uh, for poor poor Ben, 
it was a movie he made with somebody that he was dating at the time. So people are going to attach that to this the way that they uh. did to Geely. On top of which, this may be as bad as Geely. So, I mean, it's like. <laughs> Luckily, it went straight to Hulu and yeah. might get buried. Windfall on Netflix and then Master on Amazon. Now, there might be other things, too. That's just what I found off the top of my head. Our classic is going to be House of the Devil. I've never been a big Ty West fan. However, I've never seen House of the Devil. And yeah. X looks good to me. But then, because then you throw the A twenty four thing on there, but then you throw his name, and I don't, I just, I don't know. Yeah, um, that that whole Ty West aesthetic has never done anything for me. So I'm, I'm a little bit, as much as I, I, I think the trailer's great, and I trust A twenty four. That's where my investment comes in. It, right. it looks like a, kind of a, uh, it looks kind of a sleazy good time. Uh, and, and yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of into it just because the trailer is so good. And, and that cast is amazing too. Mia Goth right. is such a superstar. So that's got me sold on it a little bit. I think it's Lou Taylor Pucci as well. I think uh, is in that and he's, you know, he's awesome. So <laughs> he's, he's got my, he's got my love for years after Moon Manor. Yeah. It, it just looks good, and I hope it lives up to the trailer. Uh, and if it doesn't, I'm sure there'll be something I like about it. Uh, 1992, I guess the big one's Basic Instinct. Otherwise, Noise is Off, Proof, uh, Raise the Red Lantern, and Shadows and Fog. I uh, don't know if you know any of those outside of Basic Instinct, but... <laughs> <laughs> Shadow and Fog is much like much like Howard's End. It's one of those English people counting matches movie where it's just like people walk into rooms very awkwardly and they have very dramatic encounters. Yeah. <laughs> it's an Eddie Izzard re- reference for, for those who love Eddie Izzard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's run over to Flick Chart for a little bit and then we can end the show. Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master or Annihilation. What movie is Annihilation? You ever heard of I'm Yeah, sure that was that from the that trailer. The guy or that poster. That was the one with the. It was like something was spreading around the earth, like cancer. I think. Uh, oh my God, who was in that? Was it Anne Hathaway or? We loved it. Uh, really? Yeah. Who was? Um, okay. Let's pull up on IMDb. Natalie Portman. the Natalie Portman Natalie Portman movie. I think that's okay. The, Make was sure. it called Annihilation? I can't remember now. I swear to God, I swear to God, it was. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that should totally win. I'm just, uh, I, I couldn't remember the name of it for some reason. And that, I think the poster that we're looking at is really throwing me off because it looks nothing like, like the post. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it looks nothing like the posters that we saw for for this movie. So yeah, that's fine. Yeah. There must be some kind of foreign poster that I just don't recognize. Yeah, what is, what was Alex him? Garland's a genius. Oh, X Machina, that was right. Yeah. All right, Annihilation beats Freddy four. <laughs> yes. Terminator two, Judgment Day, Ronin. Terminator two. Yes. Star Wars Episode two, Attack of the Clones, Miami Vice. Star Wars. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Would love to have Josh try to do that one. <laughs> yeah. I wonder where he would go because he really liked my advice. He kind of struggled like everybody did with the prequels. So be interesting. Uh, checking out or hitch. I've never heard of checking out. 
least that, that I'm aware of. Looks like a TNA comedy. Uh, the Sixth Day or Hitch? Hitch. Yeah. Twin Peaks Missing Pieces or The Mummy? That's no, that's I don't know if that's a TV show or what. That's not the. It's the movie of Twin Peaks. Didn't they do it? No, the, the movie of Twin Peaks was like 1994. Oh yeah, fire walk with me. You're right. I didn't see the date till just now. All right, the village or the mummy tomb of the dragon emperor. The village, yes, begrudgingly. <laughs> Joe Dirt or Wall Street? Wall Street. The Wall Street can't beat much other than Joe Dirt. <laughs> it must be tough for Republicans to decide which one's better, though. <laughs> Send your hate mail to Bob Zerlet. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Coyote Ugly or Batman? Batman. Love Coyote Ugly though. Yeah. Ghost Ship or Little Miss Sunshine? Little Miss Sunshine. Absolutely. Juno or eight millimeter? Juno. That's another movie I didn't like at the time, eight millimeter, but I wonder if it's any good. <laughs> <laughs> just because because cage changes the context oh i mean snake eyes i hated until we watched it made a classic a few years ago so i didn't hate he's, eight millimeter that, that good much. can't wait for next month oh, i'm so excited so good <laughs> it really does look so amazing although it's kind of like is that where the world ends when that movie comes out <laughs> like what else is there to accomplish <laughs> it's nicholas cage playing himself as a singularity <laughs> Well, I mean, the, I always thought when the Cubs won the World Series, either baseball would end or the <laughs> world would end, and Trump got elected like two days later. So, <laughs> All right. A Quiet Place or The Postman? A Quiet Place. A quiet Place is the theater of The Postman when it was out in theaters. <laughs> Hulk 2003 or Citizen Kane? It's a tough one. <laughs> Citizen Kane. Uh, strike 1925 no never saw that one gone in 60 seconds poltergeist <sighs> which way are you going i've never actually seen gone in 60 seconds <laughs> uh all right yeah we can go with poster get poltergeist uh, gone in 60 seconds is a guilty pleasure movie though and it's cage right that's kind <laughs> of a, i hate voting against him twice in a row right but uh, <laughs> Uh, that is not that is not our our podcast meta. No, <laughs> the lair of the white worm. I've never seen that one, but I want to. That's a great poster. Yeah, Moonrise Kingdom, Baby Driver. Moonrise Kingdom for me. I love that movie. I loved Baby Driver, but if you recast it with Nicolas Cage, <laughs> right? We'll flip for it, but I won't be too heartbroken if I lose. God damn it. <laughs> I was like, fuck that. You're not putting that on me. <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom. Good. Election Beowulf. Easy election by a lot. Beowulf <laughs> sucks. Yes. The Parent Trap Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Yeah. Begrudgingly. <laughs> Babel one hour photo. That's a good one. Wow. Those are two really great movies. Uh, Babel, though, is so sad that I never want to see it again, whereas I would watch one hour photo again. 
that's a it's tough, actually, right? I was actually thinking the other way. I mean, I know it's sad. <laughs> uh, we'll flip again for fun. Fair enough. Babble. I'm okay with that. They're both really great. <laughs> Amoris Peros, <laughs> the Ten Commandments. Is that the same director? Or is that one of the... <clears throat> The same director is oh, is Babel? Yeah, actually, I think it is. Yeah, now that you mention it, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with the more religious movie and Morris Peros. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> more realistically religious. Yeah, no <laughs> uh, the Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift, Barbershop, the next cut. It's Tokyo Drift all the way. All right. I haven't seen that barbershop, so I can't fairly go against it. The Babadook or the Full Monty? The Babadook. Great movie. Yeah. Finding Neverland, Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Yeah. Electra, so I married an ex-murderer. So I married an ex-murderer. It's all because I said Electra earlier in the show. <laughs> right. Beauty and the Beast 2017 or Sling Blade? Sling Blade. I have not seen Sling Blade. Oh, you should see Sling Blade. Someday. Richard Jewell or Deadpool 2? Deadpool 2. Yeah. Mad Max, Fury Road, Vicky Cristina, Barcelona. Oh, no. The internet's going to hate me again. Vicky, Bar- Vicky Cristina, Barcelona. <laughs> I want to go Mad Max, but I want to beat That's Vicky fair. Cristina, That's Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> George didn't like that one either. That's Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Uh, the Big Boss. Have you seen that? I don't think so. I've heard about it, but I don't think I've actually seen it. All the President's Men, The Last King of Scotland. All the President's Men. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Men in Black 2. Crouching Tiger. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Atlantis, The Lost Emperor, Empire. I, I, have, I have no horse in this race. Which way are you going? Just go Bill and Ted. All right. I was young enough to not hate it when I, was, when I saw it last. <laughs> <laughs> The 25th Hour, Marie Antoinette. Oh, this is not fair. These are two amazing movies. Um, 25th Hour. What is 25th Hour again? Edward Norton, directed by Spike Lee. Movie made right after 9-11. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, my God. You got to see that movie. is incredible. Edward Norton plays a guy who's on his way to prison. I will definitely have to check that one out. Got uh, Spike Lee directing Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, and Edward Norton. <laughs> Edward Norton, yeah, it's awesome. And Marie Antoinette's awesome too. So it is. I do. I agree. Uh, Karate Kid Part Three, Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Accepted, my cousin Vinny. <laughs> my cousin Vinny. <laughs> Just laughing because right. the flake chart. Keeps listening to us. The score, Happy Gilmore. Uh, 
Uh, God, I'd love for you to pick an Adam Sandler movie over a Marlon Brando, Robert De Niro, and Edward Norton. A really shitty Albert De- Robert De Niro, Edward Norton. The score. I'll go Happy Gilmore, but I do love the you know Edward Norton telling stories about Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro falling asleep. That is scenes. the best thing about the score, as opposed to the movie itself. And what is George like? George likes the score. Escape from Tomorrow or The Replacements? Escape from Tomorrow. Fuck The Replacements. I hate that fucking movie. What is Escape from Tomorrow? George Clooney, the Disney movie. Oh, that's Based off the Disney ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember now. Spectre or Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? They both suck. I'll take Walk Hard. Yeah. Walk hard, just not tight enough. It was, At least Paul Rudd's in it. <laughs> right. and I, love the, I like Paul Rudd. And I love the scene where they, they do the Beatles and everyone's yeah. trying really hard to get the <laughs> impressions right. <laughs> I was listening yeah. to Justin Long tell a story where he asked, you know, he was talking to Jack Black about how nervous he was about getting the impression right. Jack's like, oh, I got mine. <laughs> I'm Jack Black. I'm Paul McCartney. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's better. That's funnier than anything in that movie. Right. (laughs) That movie just too long. Just not well edited enough, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They needed a little work. Lethal Weapon Evolution. Lethal Weapon. But I always love Evolution. Yeah. Soft spot for that movie. GG at the Avengers. I'm supposed to see GG at some point. I'm sure I've just never done it. And this is the 1998 Avengers. Yeah. Follow me, boys. Nope. <laughs> the good, the bad. Nope. The, what the fuck? <laughs> We've run out of movies. The right stuff or the Avengers. The right stuff. Yeah. 98. Misery, blue velvet. Misery. Yeah, it's Blue Velvet's better, but it's weird and uncomfortable. Misery's, I think Misery held up as well, though. I'll flip it. A lot of flips today. <laughs> Blue Velvet wins this one. The Irishman Super Mario <laughs> The Irishman. Oh. Rosemary's Baby American Pie 2. Rosemary's Baby. Love American Pie 2. Yeah, I'd probably even watch American Pie 2, but it's still Yeah, I agree. Major League or Brother Bear? Major League. Absolutely. Drive American Pie. Drive is just a better movie. American Pie is more watchable. Right. RoboCop Machinist. The Machinist. I hate RoboCop so much. Yeah. I would rather suffer through the machinist again. <laughs> Do you think Christian Bale would want to suffer through it again? <laughs> As opposed to watching RoboCop, maybe. <laughs> uh, City of Angels or The Silence of the Lambs? The Silence of the Lambs. Scream 4, Superman 3. Good God, what a nightmare. <laughs> no, no, Scream 4 is actually pretty good. Say, no, no, like yeah. Scream, Scream 3 is the shitty one. Yeah, right. Scream 4 is good. Scream 3 is the shitty one. Ratatouille Lost in Space. Ratatouille. Alien versus Predator 2. The Indian in the Cupboard. 
Not sure I've actually seen the edit of the cupboard. I haven't seen either one of them, so. <laughs> Blast from the Past, Pride and Prejudice. I know what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> I know that I know that there are a lot of uh, friends of mine who will be very upset. I've got a particular sister who'll probably want to reach through the podcast and, and punch me in the face. But I love Blast from the Past. That movie's just darling. So I'm picking it <laughs> for Brian <and> Precious. <laughs> All right. Very last one. This is a tough one. <laughs> My girl or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. His glasses. Where are his glasses? It's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> you could edit those movies together and like that scene would be that would play well in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> oh. oh. Good All stuff. Right. All right. Talk to you next week. Yes, good night. Bye.